This is Grown Up With Kids, the parenting and marriage podcast that gives a weekly dose of encouragement, wisdom, and humor for people trying their best to live, love, and laugh more with their families. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, today we discuss toxic positivity in parenting. Also, David's eyebrow is contributing to global warming. Yeah, I said one eyebrow. <laughs> I literally almost forgot that you did that. (laughs) It's been a little while. I know. This is the second episode in a row where we're like, it's been a while. Yeah. Apparently, we know how to podcast during a pandemic, but in real life, we have no idea what we're doing in all the the ways, really. No idea. (laughs) I wanted to argue, but then I was like, no, you're right. We might be a little rusty today. Might be a little rusty. You want to know something completely idiotic that I did recently? Oh, always. Speaking of us having no idea. <laughs> so you and I both got new um, glasses. Yeah, like eyeglasses. What other kind of glasses are there? I mean, we've told stories about when I broke a oh, bunch of glasses. glasses. And, got you it. know, there are other glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Tons of different. <laughs> Boiled glasses, fried glasses. Um... So yours are for distance, right? Well, they're for all of it. I have an astigmatism. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So mine are for long distances. uh, So I use them primarily for driving, although more and more I really do need them for like watching television. Uh, Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) We both both will be watching Uh, something. And sometimes like like in um, these shows, they'll show a text that's like it's, like supposed to be important, but neither one of us can read it. And so both of us like jump up from where we are. We try to like squint at the TV and we can't read it. And we're like, rewind it, rewind it. <laughs> yeah. Or we're like, oh, I heard this movie's really good, but there's subtitles. Do we have our glasses? <laughs> nope. All right. We'll watch something else. So we both get glasses probably within like a couple of weeks of each other. Um, and I got mine second. I wore them like the first day. I had this experience walking out of the eyeglass place, the eye doctor. I was wearing them, and they were so much better than my old glasses that my legs felt shorter when I looked down. (laughs) I felt really discombobulated. I thought you were going to say, like, I hadn't seen green trees in forever. (laughs) No, I objectively was like, am I that close to the ground? (laughs) It was really weird. And, like, I stepped off a... Like a off a sidewalk, off a curb, and sort of fell over a little bit because it wasn't like my depth perception was totally off. But then, like two days later, I go out driving, got to go to the office, go do this other thing, and the whole time I'm like freaking out because I put the glasses on and they're clearly it's sharper, but it's also blurry. Does that make sense? <laughs> and I'm guess, just like yeah. so confused. I was like, oh, this eye doctor stinks. Like I'm so disappointed. I just spent all this money on these new glasses, yeah. and they're super cool, and now they don't work. Exactly. I don't know that they're super cool. <laughs> they they're, are. They are cool. Um, so I'm like really sort of frustrated. Don't know what to do about it. I get out of the car. I come inside. I'm working on something else, doing this and that. And then I sort of like, it's long enough time that I sort of forget what's going on. I look around, and my glasses are on our piano. And I was like, oh, I thought I left those in the car. And I was like, wait, 
I did leave them in the car. <laughs> so I go out to the car and realize the whole day, the whole day, Rachel, <laughs> yeah. I'd been wearing your new glasses. <laughs> For an astigmatism. But you don't have an astigmatism. <laughs> so they were slightly clearer because they were stronger than my old glasses, but they were blurry because oh our gosh. eyes are different. Oh, man. It was such a relief. That's... I was like, oh, my eye doctor's great. <laughs> that is funny. I feel bad that I'm not wearing my glasses more, but I can't with a mask. It gets all foggy. And you know, I'm not going to lie. I got to make fun of you a tiny bit. And I haven't told oh, you this. Oh, this is the first time. I know. <laughs> I haven't told you this off the mic, so if we delete this, it's okay. Or if we get divorced, so <laughs> like how mean your, is it? <laughs> your eyebrows oh, no. are pretty thick, and so sometimes I notice that your new glasses like create like a wall with your eyebrows, and so yeah. when you breathe into a mask, your glasses fog up. And like mine fog up, but because I get my eyebrows waxed and beautified, mm-hmm. the fogging goes away relatively quickly. Yours doesn't. It really just hangs there because your eyebrows are holding a ton of moisture <laughs> and creating like a seal. I don't know how you do it. Here's what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I'm just glad you refer to it as an eyebrows and not an eyebrow. <laughs> So, I feel like for you that, do a good job you. of shaving in between. I think that's nice. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't wax, I would have an eyebrow as well. A unibrow? Yeah. I don't believe that, actually. Um. Yeah. They're pretty ugly. No. Nah, they're, they're nice and dark. You have dark features, Rachel. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, while we're here... Yeah. I got one other like sort of silly thing to tell you. Oh, I thought we were going to jump into a topic. No. While we're here, I got <laughs> one more. So our kids are back in school. Fantastic. They sort of have different places they have to go. They leave at different times. Um, you often, mean like in the morning? Yeah, in the morning. Sorry. When they go to school. Um, I, a couple days a week, take one of them, which requires driving. Usually I come home and the other ones have left on their own and left the door wide open. Yeah. You know, the dog might be out in the front yard. You never know. Clearly we're raising responsible children. We're working on it. We're working on it. (laughs) They're great. This past week I went to get some groceries, like a small amount of things that we were missing, um, and came home and they had left. And it was like the only day they've ever locked the door. And so I couldn't like get in because I had carried my groceries (laughs) assuming the door would be wide open. And then I was like banging against it. (laughs) Can we talk about our kids getting to school really quickly? (laughs) So the one morning that, uh, like, so I went and dropped one of our kids off and went to work. And then you were, like, coming back (laughs) from a workout. And usually how it works is that before I take the one kid to go drop him off, I will wake the other two up and be like, hey, get going, get moving, your breakfast is ready. Or if you're going to school to eat, that's great, but get up. So I make them put, like, at least sit up. So... I did that, and then I brought the one kid to school, and then you apparently got back to shower after your workout and get ready to go to work. Yep. And then you went to the back bedroom and, to get some laundry. Thirty or minutes later. Thirty minutes later, and realized that there's still a kid in bed. <laughs> one of our kids just went right back to sleep, and we didn't even know. Pretty yeah. amazing parenting. So now when I come home, I'm going to search the whole house <laughs> yeah, before exactly. I do anything. <laughs> 
But here's the mistake is you can't just get them to sit up. You got to have the feet on the floor or else timber. They're falling back down. Well, I used to do the same thing when I was a kid. Totally. I still do. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I don't have to walk across the room right away, I'm going back to sleep. I have a friend who just told me that he puts his alarm in different places every night like he plugs in his so phone. He's discombobulated. With the al- yeah, in the so he has to go find his alarm in the morning so that he can get up. Mm. You know what I should do? Up. Is I should put it right next to you and you would just yell at me until <laughs> I turned it off. <laughs> I don't yell. I more grunt and shove. You would lovingly and gently uh-huh. remind me that it's my job <laughs> to turn off the light or the alarm. I am really gentle in the morning, mostly because I don't know what else to do. I can't like. I, I don't have any force because I don't have any energy. <laughs> and your eyes are barely open. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I got a question for you. Okay. Sort of on this topic of gentleness, <laughs> kindness. Do you... So here's the thing. <laughs> Set it up. Well, I hear sometimes about women who feel like they have to like smile or be like positive or happy to sort of appease other people, like in the, often in the context of work. And this came to mind recently because I was reading a book that was like a productivity book. It was for men or women. But mm-hmm. there was like a section of the chapter where the guy was like, always be positive, like never talk about what's wrong. And I was like, what in the world? Like it was kind <laughs> of like the book was good and helpful and those two pages were total ridiculous BS. Yeah. But it's just sort of... And that wasn't directed specifically toward women. No, no, to anybody. in general. Yeah, yeah. But, but it made me think of that of like, oh, I've heard women talk about this. And like, I think that negativity or anger is more acceptable for men to have generally. But it just made me curious to ask you if you felt like pressure or an expectation that you're supposed to be smiley or positive or happy and I have some follow-up questions around, like, whether that's different in the context of being a wife versus a mother versus at work or anywhere else. Yeah, so the short answer is yes, I do feel that pressure. Uh-huh. I think that I overcompensate by being exceptionally dry and dark sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I, but I think that um, with my dryness and darkness, like... I still have to laugh at it so people know it's okay. Like, it's unfamiliar for a woman to be dry. And so I sort of offer a laugh to indicate, hey, this is okay and normal. I think that the way I experience it the most is, I guess, in some of the most difficult situations I've been in um, where um, I've had a man in authority sort of brush over my feelings or or classify having feelings like pairing that with being angry or toxic in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they cover it with a nice little quote or like um, Bible verse or right. something, you know, like just to make it go away. So do you feel that pressure more in Christian or church communities historically? Like. Historically, yes. I would say that I'm in a place now where I I don't think I feel that a lot. But I think historically, um, Christian culture and sort of uh, the gender roles that Christianity sometimes can promote can often put a woman into a real tricky spot to not 
fully be herself, but then asking for her full self, but then demanding that that full self is gentle, kind and loving and smiley Mm -hmm. all the time, you know, um, which I don't disagree with. Like, I don't disagree that like we all as humans, like have a full range of emotion. And sometimes it's helpful to interact with someone who is smiling, um, or it's helpful to act, interact with someone who has a positive vibe because you naturally will feel something different than with someone who's negative. But I don't know that the same demand is on men. Is that fair to say? Do you feel, I I guess I should reverse the question. Do you feel like there's pressure to feel positive in conversations? No. Really? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You pushed back so hard. I I was like, I must be wrong. (laughs) No, what I was going to say is as you've been talking, the pressure I feel is that I should be more extroverted. Um, And I don't know if that's a gendered thing or not. Um, But I do think growing up, like, you know, thinking back to middle school and you're you're trying to, like, figure out how the world works and what it means to be popular or cool or to fit in. Yeah. And it was sort of like girls were supposed to be cute and, you know, maybe athletic or whatever. And they could have some amount of personality. But, you know, boys, on the other hand, like, there was not very much pressure on being cute. Like, if you showered twice a week, you were, like, in the top 10% of your (laughs) classmates. But being funny, being outgoing, coming across as a lot of things that I think I would consider extroverted traits, even if you weren't extroverted, was like valued. Um, And I think I, in turn, have valued that my whole life, even though I'm slightly to the left, like I'm slightly on the introverted side. I like people, but I definitely get my energy from not being around people. And I'm not as friendly and outgoing as I'd like to be. Like, it's a lot of work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like, oh, if I was a real person or like a really good at my job or a really good Christian or a really good dad or neighbor, I would be way more outgoing. So do you feel like, um, sort of extroversion and positivity may link in any way? Yeah. I mean, mean, like, are we using different words for the same thing that we might feel? I do think they're different. Like I randomly just read a book, (laughs) the autobiography of Don, Dom Rickles. Do you know who that is? The old comedian? Yeah. I would just like to note that there are very few people in my life who randomly read books. <laughs> well, and I went to me the... being one of them. I love audiobooks, but I don't like reading. Please I... don't shame me publicly. No, oh, no. I went to the library and I was like, oh, I'd like to find what I really want. And if anyone has a recommendation, let me know. I want to read a biography of Frank Sinatra, just because I'm like kind of intrigued by him. Uh-huh. And I stumbled across like videos of him on uh, the old Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Recently, and so it made me think of it. So I went to the biography section. There wasn't one. And then I came across Don Rickles. <laughs> Is it Don or Dom? I'm like forgetting. No, I don't know. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and he was also in one of these clips, and I was like, ah, I'll read this. Maybe it'll be funny. The point of the story is I accident—I didn't accidentally get the book. I just sort of randomly got the book. <laughs> and it was, I mean, if you've ever seen his act, it's like him just like, spewing one-liners and making fun of people. And essentially that's his book is like these super short chapters with these funny stories. And then that's the end. It was, I like but it was that. really sweet. Like he really loved his wife. Um, huh. And like, she was like, he, he makes a big point about how like she put up with all his like comedy crap, uh-huh. but like that she was like the rock behind him and like the greatest oh, gift God I gave him. I should read that. I think I could relate to her. <laughs> <laughs> put up with all his crap and yeah. his comedy crap. And then, you know. Yeah. So 10 minutes later, getting back to my point, 
he strikes me as someone who's super extroverted, but not positive. Like, he's funny, uh-huh. but it's sort of like, so I think there are extroverts or traits of extroversion, which can be like, you get people out of their shell, but you might be kind of either gripey or you're sort of putting people down, but in a way that often brings people out. I think you can be positive and be extroverted, but I also think positivity and often the positivity that's put on women is like this quiet, like, oh, you should smile and look like you're having a great time and your kids are all well-ordered, but doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean that you're outgoing and talking all the time. Yeah, I think that maybe the positivity you're talking about is sort of passive and submissive um, to the people around you. So like... What I'm hearing you say is like positivity might look like someone ignores your feelings just full out or makes you feel like your feelings are crazy or maybe like listens to your feelings but then has a really quick answer. So I would call that toxic positivity, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and that is different than just being an introvert or an extrovert and yeah, it's unrelated, I would yeah, say. Yeah, totally unrelated. That makes sense. That's helpful. So, yes, I have experienced posit- like toxic positivity in my life. Um, and not just from men. I think that a lot of women do this to each other, too. Like, you're in conversation, and um, a friend of ours calls it mooing conversation. Mooing. Yes. So, I think women can probably relate to this, where you're in a conversation with a woman, or some anyone in general where you share something relatively important to you or something that maybe is packed with a bit more emotion than your normal conversation because the the relationship can carry that. It's, it's a mm-hmm. weighty conversation. And the other person just responds by going, mm, mm. Like they have nothing to add. Like they they nothing, don't know what to do with it. Right. Like you have just dropped a bomb and they have no idea how to take care of you in that. And so they start with mm, mooing and then they run away by covering it over, putting a bandage on it with some sort of like positive spin. Like, Pithy. oh, you know what? Everybody deals with struggles every time. Like, oh, and there are so many people who have it worse than you. I heard about a friend who blah, blah, blah. Like... There are all these sort of like socially polite ways, seemingly polite ways to cover over what someone shares with you that end up being really toxic and harmful. I think this happens a lot. Um, I think book clubs are like made for this, you know, like where someone has an insight that might be pretty vulnerable and um, aligns with the book and then it just sits there and nobody says anything except for a, hmm... And then it's awkward and they just move on. But that person just dropped something about their own personal life and how it relates to the book. That's significant. So I think that would be toxic posi- po- toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. Toxic positivity. Another <laughs> response that I sometimes get um, is when you sort of share something that's challenging. Uh, and it might not be super deep or it could be. And the response is it's meant as a compliment, but it really comes across as like a brush off, which is like, yeah, I'm sure you'll figure it out. Or like, you're so good at that. Right. I'm sure it's not an issue. Like if I'm nervous about something at work, it's like, oh, I'm sure you'll do a great job. Right. Right. And it's like, again, if we're not really close, that's the proper answer. Right. But if we have some like level of intimacy, certainly like in our marriage, if you're worried about something, I'm just like, oh, you'll do great, which is something I do sometimes. Right. <laughs> and I you. do too. Yeah. Um, 
like that's brushing over it instead of being like like trying to really understand what are you nervous about and what's at risk and yeah. what do you think could go wrong what do you think you're going to do great at you know really actually letting you sit in that feeling and sitting with you yeah um, yeah I think that like I don't know if you're going in this direction but I think that happens with our kids a lot like where they'll drop a bomb about something and I'll because I don't necessarily either have the capacity to engage really well have the time to engage really well, or I'm just like, I don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. I will say something like, oh, you are great. You're such a you're such a ninja at that. Or you're like Superman. You're amazing. You're going to yeah. be great. I brush over it, but I think that what they really need from me is my engagement. And it can be something as simple as what you just said, which is, man, that sounds really hard. What do you think is at risk as you go into this? Like, that's a really good question mm-hmm. to get, at least get the conversation going or to acknowledge, I heard you, this sounds risky, without being like the mom who's like, I heard you, this sounds risky, is it going to be difficult for you to engage? Like, you don't <laughs> want to be that mom, but that's a good question. Like, ooh, that sounds really scary or that sounds really risky. What does that mean for you? You know, what are the consequences? Yeah, I find myself doing this with our kids when they comment on, like, a difficulty with a friend at school. Ooh, yeah. Tell me about that. So they'll that. be like, so-and-so was mean today. And I, I'm so quick to be like, oh, I'm sure, like, they didn't mean it. I'm sure they really like you. You know, or like, oh, I'm sh- you know, you'll, they'll probably be nice to you tomorrow. Or, so, you know, just something pithy that doesn't actually engage with how... The important part isn't exactly what happened or whether or not that friendship's going to last. Like, when you're four or even eight, like, these things happen all the time. Right. And um, it's more about like helping your kid process like, oh, I feel negative or I feel hurt or I feel rejected or mistreated. And what do I do with that? And normalizing that for them. I hate that phrase, by the way. But just like helping them see it is normal to uh, like feel sad sometimes or to be hurt by your friends. Um, and, you know, this is how you kind of walk through that. Yeah. But my reaction is just sort of like, oh, you're great. Or, yeah. Or that person's a jerk. Don't worry about them. You yeah. know, like if they don't see how great you are, then there's something wrong with you. But like, it's just so dismissive. In, and I think it comes back to like, we want the best thing for our kids, but in that moment, really what's underneath it is we don't want the discomfort of sitting in our kids discomfort. Yeah. And that's true in our marriage. Like there's times when you'll tell me stuff and I have to like really turn <laughs> on the switch. to make an effort to listen. Well, I have I'm to kidding. turn on the switch and be like, Oh, <laughs> this is going to be uncomfortable for me. Because I just want her to be happy, but being unhappy with her, like letting her be unhappy and sitting in that, even though that's scary, because um, I might, you know, be to blame or might whatever feel badly, um, is the right way to go, and that's that takes a conscious decision on my part. So, okay, so we've addressed a couple different things here: how this interacts with your kids and how this interacts in a marriage. Like, so when you think about um, what you want to be communicating with your kids, like, instead of just being positive, like, happy-go-lucky dad, how do you engage them with their feelings and not be, I mean, while still being positive, but not being Captain Positive, (laughs) you know, like, without allowing it to be toxic, but also, like, there's a fine line by, you know, like, being with them and, Um, sort of letting them feel it and sort of moping with them. But you also do want to be an encourager, I'm guessing, right? 
How so, do you interact? So what you're saying is, I want to be Mr. Positive, but not Captain Positive. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Let's not talk about the difference. <laughs> that seems stupid. But um, do you know what I'm saying, though? Yeah, no, I think the difference actually matters. Like, that is the crux of it, which is Captain Positive is brushing over things with yellow paint all the time and telling you to smile and buck up and the sun will come out tomorrow without actually engaging with what's going on right in this moment. Hmm. And I think Mr. Positive, as I'll call him, (laughs) (laughs) or Miss Positive, um, is someone who is secure enough in my own self and my own sort of hope and uh, kind of where I'm at and where I'm going and what we're doing with our kids to say, oh, it is not only acceptable for my child or my wife to feel bad and to communicate that to me, it's expected. Like that is the normal thing is that we go through ups and downs. And so when you come to me and you're sad or you are hurt or you're angry my first reaction isn't to try to fix it Mm. or to try to convince you somehow that it's not a big deal, Mm -hmm. um, but is to actually acknowledge your feelings um, and that they make sense and to explore like what's going on and why you might feel that way and to acknowledge them. And then, you know, there might be a point to turn it into a positive Mm -hmm. down the road in the conversation or in a day or two, but that's not the goal. The goal isn't like, how quickly can I flip this? The mm-hmm. goal is how long do you need to, me to be with you in this? Mm-hmm. And that might be, you know, especially in a marriage, that might be weeks and years. Like yeah. th- there's something going on, I think, in our lives that is a several year thing. It's not constant. It's not like the constant buzz of our marriage, but there's some negativity and some hurt that we both need to sit in together, right? Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? And you mean like right now, the stuff we're dealing with? Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not a every time we're talking, that's all we're talking about, but it comes up semi-regularly yeah. and we both need, wh- whoever brings it up, the other needs to be like, yeah, I'm with you in this and like, I hear you and tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. So it, acknowledging is one big thing. I've I, I read that in... Um, <laughs> with well, you just acknowledging that like on our podcast, it's incredibly healing. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Well, we're done. I think this can be our last episode. <laughs> No, no, we're not done. <laughs> All right. Um, so I was listening on tape, whatever, the modern, on my phone to a book. A book, a book. <laughs> Do you listen to tape? I don't even have a tape player anymore. Um, on Hoopla, um, uh-huh. a book called Raising Good Humans by Hunter Clark Fields, which, like many parenting books, I won't wholeheartedly recommend. I think yeah. there's good stuff in there. I haven't finished it. Um, but you also could read it and like think it was total crap and I wouldn't be offended. Um, <laughs> but she, one of the things early on... You just totally discounted your source before you even started. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think a lot of parenting books, it's like 10 chapters and two of them will be really good mm-hmm. and it'll be a different two for each parent. That's what I mean by that. Yeah. It's like, I, and it's totally a lot about meditating and some other like mindfulness stuff, which some of that is really helpful for me and other people like... It's not helpful at all. And other, and then there's a third type of person who might love every single word of it. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So it's worth checking out if you want to check it out. Just as a note, if David writes a parenting book, it'll probably be three chapters long. And two of them will be awesome. And two of them will <laughs> be awesome. And one will suck. And he'll, say, he'll say, really, anyone who's talking has about three chapters in them, and that's the extent of it. If it goes beyond that, you're full of shit. That's a side note. <laughs> 
I don't know why books are so long. Like, I know. I know. When I read like a hundred page book, I'm ecstatic about it. Yeah. Like, just tell me what I need to know. Anyway, what I was saying is she talks about this idea of acknowledging, which is kind of what I was describing there, um, which is seeing people's feelings, like saying that to them, that they you see them, allowing them to feel them, sitting it with them in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Like, if people remember anything from this, like, this idea of acknowledging other people's feelings, but Mm -hmm. also being able to acknowledge your own feelings. Um, I read an interesting um, article, I think it was the New Yorker. Was this one on accident, or did you intentionally read it? I read it on purpose. (laughs) It was in the Washington Post, and I will put the link in the show notes. Um, But there are a couple of great quotes in there from different um, kind of psychologists and specialists. One is a professor of psychology um, in Toronto, Brett Ford, and he says, people who tend to not judge their feelings, not think about their emotions as good or bad, not try to avoid or put distance between themselves and their emotions, these people tend to have better mental health across the board. And so I think that's a big part of what we're talking about, which is not trying to judge the feelings. So not, not our kids' feelings, not our spouse's feelings, or even judging our own feelings, mm-hmm. but just letting them be, having some objective like I feel sad or I feel angry and just sit in that mm. um, instead of being like, I feel badly that I feel angry or it's right that I feel angry. Like, Or assigning your feelings to someone else and blaming them for your feelings, mm-hmm. like just sitting in them. Like I do that a lot is like I make an assignment that this X, Y, or Z made me feel bad rather than just saying, I just feel bad. Yeah. Like I feel like I'm learning and growing in that. Um, yeah. But I think that's an important acknowledgement as well. Good job. Way to acknowledge my acknowledgement with your acknowledgement. (laughs) (laughs) I'd also like to note that XYZ is a real jerk. So, (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rach, that's about all I got. You got anything else? Uh, No, I would love to hear a little bit. Like, I think we could talk a little bit more about toxic positivity specifically in marriage. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that as parents, we in general know... Or, like, there's this feeling like, okay, I don't want to be fake with my child because I want to draw out their feelings. I want to draw out who they are. I want to, like, create the best human. But when we're in marriage, we have no – we often forget that we want to draw out the best in the other person. Hmm. We sort of assume the worst in the other person. And I think that it would be helpful to talk about toxic positivity specifically in marriage – I have a couple examples of it in our <laughs> From marriage. me. <laughs> I bet you do. Well, no, I think that some of toxic positive... Well, let's wait. Let's do another episode on toxic positivity specifically in marriage. Did you see how well I articulated that? It was wonderful. You should be on Broadway. No, <laughs> that's not it. With well, those, maybe. With those I mean, be- beautifully say- waxed eyebrows. <laughs> Thank you. They don't hold in moisture in my glasses. <laughs> All right. Well, the good news is we do have a usually weekly podcast. Oh my gosh. Lately it's been monthly, but we're going to figure out how to do not life even. outside of a pandemic. So we will hit that. If not next week, sometime soon, we will talk about toxic positivity in marriage. That sounds great. But for now, I got a quick stat of the week for you. Stat of the week. All right. Dave. How you doing? Good. What Dave. Up? No one calls me Dave. I know. Someone called you Dave to me the other day, and I was like, who? What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Probably, anyway. Probably thought it was your boyfriend. All right, Rach. I don't have a boyfriend. 
<laughs> we don't put labels we, on it. We broke up. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I married him. <laughs> oh, I know, right? I twisted that. I know. So I'm, I said, uh, I misquoted uh, the Washington Post as the New York New Yorker. But actually, what I meant was my stat of the week comes from not the New Yorker, but New York Magazine. Okay. Close enough. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about right now. That makes two of us. <laughs> Let's just do this stat of the week. So I read this article about parenting and how it's hard and all this other stuff. Like, we needed one more of those. But it's actually pretty interesting. I will put it in the show notes, of course. That will not be a chapter in your two chapter, three chapter book. It might be. About how hard parenting is? Yeah. No one Chapter needs, three. No one cares. It's really, really hard. They're gonna, and <laughs> people will it's super it. duper hard. <laughs> Chapter four. All right. One of the challenges in marriage is that... You're reading from this article oh now? Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> I can look down and talk at the same time. Okay, okay. <laughs> Later, I'm going to chew gum. <laughs> and walk? No. <laughs> All right, one of the challenges is that married parents actually spend less time together alone. Yeah, no joke. Than they did in 1975. You mean they spent time together in 1975? Yeah, they didn't actually parent. Their kids just like walked around. <laughs> yeah. Just like did whatever they wanted. <laughs> Smoked cigars and like <laughs> rode on motorcycles. I don't know. Isn't that when like the best Christmas pageant ever was probably birthed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, 1975. Okay. How many hours a week on average, according to this study? Who knows how accurate it is, but whatever. How many hours a week did married parents spend alone together each week in 1975? Uh, maybe like 10. Close. Really? 12. Wow. 12 hours. That's a long time. And then they redid this study, and it's dropped. How far do you think it's dropped? Oh, a lot. I bet it's like two hours a week. No. Two hours a week would be like 15 minutes a day. This is not including sleeping, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not including sleeping. But okay. we definitely spend more okay. than 15 minutes a so day maybe, together. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's say, I would say maybe fairly like seven hours. Uh, you're just as close as you were before. Two hours off, it's nine hours. So it went from 12 hours to nine hours, which okay. is a 25% drop. Yeah, Significant. that's a lot. Um, so nine hours is like a little over an hour a day. Spending alone. Um, anyway, there was another study quoted in here that said that like 40% of all disagreements between married parents are about their kids. I thought that was interesting. Really? What yeah. do you think that when they say about their kids, what do you think that's about? Um, it's probably like all kinds of, like we fight or argue because one of us feels like we're doing more of the logistics. We probably fight yeah. when we're worried about one of our kids not doing well at something. We, you know. So Probably, it's not I mean, just like fighting about, oh, I love Timmy more than you do. You know, like it's actually fighting about all the stuff that swirls around, all the pressure that parents feel today yeah. about their kids and what they're supposed to do as parents. Yeah. The cottage industry that it's become. Yeah. And I would imagine if parents are spending less time together, they're not talking about like general vision of where they want their family to be going. And so when you get to those instantaneous moments when some kid is losing their crap at the dinner table and the parents can't agree. Like, I, I would imagine there's a lot of disagreements about what to do in those scenarios. Yeah. So the takeaway from this stat of the week is try to spend a little quality time with your spouse this week. Yes. Just the two of you. And don't fight about your kids. Ugh. Easier said than done. Easier I mean, not fighting about the kids, but just time in general. 
The whole thing. The whole kit and caboodle, Rachel. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. All right. I think that's plenty for today. All right. Thanks to everyone for joining us. Rachel, thank you for working on the farm. Hey, thank you for working on the farm. Check ya. Check ya.